0: good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good, good. I love hearing that. I know it's kind of a crazy season with both COVID and deer season and all the other craziness that's going on, but it's still good to be the people of God to come together to just experience a time of rest. In this series, we've been in we call it core, and we've been looking at the core values of us as a church. And, and here's the really cool thing about this series. We started planning this series as a, a leadership about this time last year, looking at, okay, we've got our 10-year anniversary coming up. What kind of church are we, and what kind of church do we want to be going forward into the next decade for our church? And we had no idea at the time that when we were planning up this series and looking at who are we as a people and how we were going to be discussing this and the things we were going to be doing, we had no idea that we'd be moving into a building. Which is really cool in a lot of ways that God has been orchestrating a lot of this to help prepare us for what kind of church are we going to be for this community when we move out of this hotel and we move into a new location. And part of this series, what makes it so important, is actually our small group leaders who every single week they've been meet, meeting with their group. We've been having conversations about the, the topic that we preached on on Sunday, looking at our core values, and we've been looking at it in a small group kind of settings to just break this down. How does this look like for our lives? How do we look like what we've been talking about? And so this has been a very and crucial component of this series is the small group leaders. And so let's Let's give honor and appreciation to them this morning for that, because that's a lot of work. Can we get a round of applause? So, my wife and I have this habit where we love to watch sitcoms. We love comedy sitcoms, and I imagine some of you do as well, by the fact that so many of you quote Seinfeld and things like that to me, which I have no idea, I haven't seen much of Seinfeld, I know, uh, I apologize for that, but I can tell you probably have a show that you love to watch, a show that you probably finish and then you immediately start it over again, like The Office or Parks and Rec. Well, me and my wife have this argument on which is the best sitcom, and I've gotta tell you, I think my wife is wrong. On what she thinks is the best sitcom. And she is so fascinated with this one particular show. You probably haven't heard of it, it's not that big of a deal. But she is really big into this show. And I've noticed over the years, she's buying merchandise and other little things related to the show and putting it in our house. Knowing I won't catch what it is, and so I'm noticing our house is slowly becoming a shrine to this, you know, anonymous, unnamed show. It's not very popular. I'm probably gonna am gonna tell you to you here, and you're probably gonna be like, "Yeah, I've never heard of that show." It's a show called Friends, and I can tell by your reaction you've never heard of it either, right? <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't find it all that funny, all right? For me, I think shows like The Office and Parks and Rec and Commun- I can list multiple shows I think are funnier than the show Friends. I'm sorry, I know some of you are offended and you'll probably never come back and be like, I'm not going to go to a place where the pastor does not like the show Friends. But something I really appreciate about this show, and really just about any comedy sitcom is the family dynamic that starts to develop among the characters. As the show goes on and you're starting to empathize with them and it's like you're sharing the experiences and these don't become characters anymore. These become almost like real people. And in all these shows, there's a similar dynamic where a group of people come together and they share life together. They're open and vulnerable with each other's lives. They see the messiness of each other and they still accept one another. They still love one another. And I appreciate shows like this because I think they hit on something that's very crucial to be human. Something that we all crave. Something that we're all looking for in this life. That we're all looking for people that we can be vulnerable with. That we could be real with and transparent. That we don't have to put up the filters and the walls and all the defenses. But that we could be open and honest with another human being. That we can do life together. That we can go through the craziness, messiness of 2020 even. Together with a group of people. And you know that even though they know your darkest secrets, you trust that they won't use that against you. And that's love. We all crave that. We're all looking for it in multiple different ways where we're looking for people that we can point to and say, I love to be among these people because they know me. They respect me. They know all my strengths and weaknesses and they still accept me. They still want me to be a part of this little group. I mean, that's what's beautiful to watch about these sitcoms. And I think it's something crucial for us as human beings that we all crave that, that we're all looking for that in this world. We're looking for the friends and the best friends and those friends that are so close that we consider them family. And I think this is a desire which God has put into our hearts from the very beginning. When he created Adam and Eve, he looked at humanity and he says in Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning, right after he creates humanity, he looks at them and says, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, typically we read that passage and people immediately start talking about marriage and husband and wife and Adam and Eve and things like that. And yes, we could talk about that, but I think God is also showing us something that's very crucial about how he made us, that God did not make us with a heart and mind that we're going to be lonely, that God had no desire that we would be lonely people, but that he had desired that we would have significant relationships in our lives. And when I say significant relationships, I mean the people that you could be honest with. The people that you could be open and vulnerable, that they can see the wounds on your soul. And you know, they're not going to run away. They're not going to turn away. They're not going to insult you and flee like what we think of in our insecurities, but they're going to maybe share their own wounds. They're going to bear each other's burdens. I think God has put that desire in us from the very beginning. We see this, that God had no intention for us to be alone, but us to be in community with people who love and care for us. This is a crucial element to faith because we, we in the West, we always think of faith as an individualistic thing, of it's me and Jesus against the world. But when you actually read the Bible and you read the Old Testament, you see faith is a community thing where people are coming together, where they are following Jesus together. It's like how we've been saying a lot that what the church is is about the people of God coming together to be the people of God so that we might go out of this place and be the people of God. Faith is a community aspect where God has in mind that you're going to be in relationship with other Christians, that you're going to do this life thing together with those who have the same heart and mind to see you become who you were always meant to be. And the Bible is so clear on this that it also talks about the negative side. of we intentionally isolate ourselves, if we intentionally say, I don't want to be around other people who are going to inspire me, to encourage me, to help me to become who I was meant to be, the Bible is very clear that our faith, our confession, our hope in Jesus wavers. The book of Hebrews is very big on this. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The confession of our hope is who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The language there is kind of like, hold on with everything you've got with like white knuckle intensity. Okay, hold on to this. And it goes on, it says, for he who promised is faithful. Which is this beautiful imagery right here of our hope is in Jesus and he's faithful enough to help us with our own confession, with our own doubts and insecurities when we're among each other in a community. And here's where the community aspect comes in. It goes into the next sentence. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, right here, we can see that God has the intention that Christians, his believers, his people are going to be with one another, that they're going to have the desire that they need one another because we were made with this need in our heart that we need people in our lives. And here's the really challenging statement. It's easy to miss this on Sunday morning. Because on Sunday morning, it's easy to slip in and slip out, not engage with anybody Make sure you sit far away from one another, things like that. It's easy to be anonymous, to be hidden in a crowd like this, to hear a message and then to walk out of here like nothing ever happened. And I get how easy that because is. I've done it. We all do it. This is our natural tendency, but God has a desire that we're going to love God and love people. And it's kind of hard to love people if we don't engage with other people. Look, in this setting, in rows, it is very easy to communicate truth. It's very easy to communicate saying, we should be kind to one another. We should love one another. We should care for one another. But truth, truth might be easily communicated in Rose, but the real transformation happens in relationships. An example of this is in 1990 or 1963 when Martin Luther King Jr. stood up and gave his famous address, I Have a Dream, in front of a quarter of a million people. We all looked at that and we're like, man, that's a great moment in history. But the real transformation happened when people lived out that truth in relationships. And see, what happens in Rose is it matters. It matters for us to be able to gather together, to express truth, to express the truth of the gospel and things like that. But the real transformation, what matters more is when we gather together with other believers and we say, hey, this is what I'm questioning with. Here's what I'm wrestling with. Here's what I'm going with in my life. How does the truth that we've heard on Sunday, how does it apply into this situation as we're doing life together, as we're in relationship with one another? And this is why we come to our core value this morning of what we're talking about. It's that we believe circles matter more than rows. We believe that circles matter more than rows. We think rows matter. It does matter that we're here on Sunday mornings that we're preaching that we're hearing the word of God spoken things like that but hear me as the preacher right now and let me tell you what matters more is that you're in community with one another that you have significant relationships with other people in your life who want to encourage you to live out the truths what you hear on Sunday morning and I say that as a preacher because my my ego is not hey let's get a bigger crowd on Sunday morning my ego is different my ego is I want people in relationship with one another, having these significant relationships where where God is moving in the midst of it. And we see this displayed all around Scripture. If you want an example, turn to Acts chapter 2, where we're going to be out for the rest of the morning. Now, in the book of Acts, it begins with Jesus is up on a mountain with his disciples, these 12 guys whom he's had this circle community with them for about three years. And he, at this point in the story, he has died, he's been crucified, and he's been resurrected, and, you know, he's come into his glory, things like that. And they're all thinking, man, Jesus, you're about to start this amazing kingdom. And he's about to tell them how he's going up to heaven. But he's given them these few commands of they need to go out, they need to share what God has done, they need to share the fact, that there is a king out there. His name is Jesus. He loves people. He is the hope of this world. And so he's charging them to go out with this message. And then you read the rest of the the story in Acts, the chapter one, you see them. They get together in this tight little community. They're hiding out in a building. They're praying together. They're, They're eating together. They're having life together. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit kind of falls on them. And it's like tongues of fire is how it describes with with, with the Holy Spirit has just fallen upon them. And they immediately leave that space. And you see in in Acts chapter 2 where Peter gets up in front of a crowd at this holiday called Pentecost, where all these people who previously were just cheering, saying, yes, let's crucify Jesus. Peter gets in front of that crowd and says, guess what, guys? Jesus is king of the world. And it's this amazing sermon that we get to read in Acts chapter 2. And it ends with this dramatic moment where 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, Mason, you just contradicted yourself right there. You've been saying that circles matter more than rows. But look, and 3,000 people came to faith in a row-type setting. It's all right for me to just continue to do the same. And you can make that argument if you don't read the Bible, and if you don't read what happens next, because the real transformation occurs in the very next verse. We're going to be picking up in verse 42 of chapter two. So if you would, please read or follow along with me. In chapter two of book of Acts, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So Notice in the aftermath here, they've just heard the gospel preached to them. They just heard the truth that Jesus lives, Jesus loves them, Jesus wants to completely change their lives. And the first thing they do is they sit there and think, man, we've got to do something with this. We need to get together with our closest friends and family and we need to talk about this and see how our lives are going to be different. I mean, they were not like, hey, Peter, that was a really good show. That was a good message, Peter. That's really good. Um, I'm going to go get some tacos now and go back to work and just live my life. They weren't like that. But they were immediately convicted of, we need to get together and talk about this. This is a big deal, right? If God is the king of the world, that should change how we live our lives, right? And so let's talk about this. Let's get together in smaller settings. And here's what happens when they get together. It's really cool. It's in verse 43. It says, and awe came upon every soul. Just think about that sentence right there. When was the last time you were ever in awe of anything, Right? And here they are, they are in awe of the fact that God loves them, that God hasn't forgotten about them, that God is doing something new in their midst and he's inviting them to be a part of it. And so it says, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Right off, we're seeing this new type of humanity being birthed in this moment. It's a family that's intimately bonded. They're they're imperfect people, but they're following this perfect God, and and they're spurring and encouraging one another to love like Jesus, and they're taking every opportunity to serve, and they're leading the way with irrational generosity. I mean, that sounds kind of familiar, right? Hmm? See, this is what's going on in this new community that God is building, okay? And it goes on and it tells us in verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. See, this new community, this new humanity is rather simple. They meet together once a week on a Sunday, and they hear the apostles tell them about the word of God. And then they meet later on in in homes and tight little circles with uh, family and friends. And they begin to talk about what they just heard. And they talk about, hey, what is God doing in my life? And they're sharing life together in a way that can't be done in a crowd and among rows. But it happens among circles when we're with one another. And the result that happens, and the grand result picks up in 47. and says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Do you want to know why that verse is so shocking? It's because of the context of where these disciples are meeting. Okay, so these early believers are not meeting in a church building because they're being hunted. They're being persecuted. What they're meeting in is a catacombs. Do you know what a catacombs is? It's a place where you buried your dead. And so they're meeting in this place with dead bodies around them because it's the only safe place to meet in secret to worship Jesus. I can only imagine the horrors of children's ministry when you're trying to sing and you got a dead body and your kid is a little curious, right? Just picture that, some of you who have little kids. Be grateful that we're not in that kind of setting anymore, right? Just use your imagination here. Think you're a first century believer, okay? And you're meeting in secret. And it's not like what we have here where we can be loud and we can be up front and silly even. we can have you know, Tim and Clayton banging on the drums as loud as they want. And we can be like, yeah, we don't care if all the other people in the hotel hear us worship. But imagine being in their situation of the first believers. And you're in this tight space. It reeks. There's no AC It's this uncomfortable place. You're having to meet in the dark and when you worship, you're not singing loudly but you're quietly whispering to one another. And then you start sharing communion with one another in a very quiet way. Whispering from person to person, Jesus lives. Jesus hasn't forgotten about us. Jesus loves us. Jesus is gonna do something in our lives. Today we look for any Petty excuse not to meet. We look for any distraction we can possibly find, whether it's the comforts in our seat, the temperature in the room, the attire of the preacher. But for the first church that shook the world, what mattered to them was the Word of God. It was all about, we've got to meet, and we've got to talk about this. Jesus, God, it shook the world. It turned the world upside down because they had this desire, which we don't always see oftentimes in the West, but you know who does see it? You go to the eastern side of the planet, and you go to Asia, and this is how they are still meeting. I have friends of mine who are missionaries in in Vietnam and China, and they talk about this, that this is how the churches meet in secret, and God is doing amazing work. Now, I'm not saying we need to start meeting in secrets. I'm saying maybe we need to take appreciation of the freedoms which we have. That We have the opportunity to meet not with persecution, not with slander, but we can meet together, and we can have meals together. We can enjoy life with one another. We can talk about what's going on, and this setting is the catalyst for the rest of the book of Acts that God does extraordinary things to extend his kingdom in the context of small groups of people meeting together to study his work. We see that in Jesus and how for all the Gospels he focused on 12 guys of just trying to build the kingdom up in them and send them out afterwards. We see that in the book of Acts. So right from this moment things start happening very quickly. You see it starts out as just this Jewish thing and then all of a sudden you see these Samaritans, these half-Jews. Oh, they're hated. No one likes the Samaritans. Okay, but all of a sudden they're coming to the faith. And then it goes from there in chapter 9, you see Paul, a guy who ravaged the church, a guy who went about hunting these secret little churches, and then what we see is that he comes to faith. And so it's like, okay, he comes to faith in this context of significant relationships where, where God's word is presented to him, where God meets with him in the awkward moments of life. And then we go to chapter 11 of Book of Acts, and you see Peter going to, dare I say, a Roman centurion's house. We're seeing these people as well come to Christ in the context of significant relationships. And then the rest of the book is all about Paul going from one place to the next, making friends with people, building relationships with people. And in that context, God is moving, God is present, and God is active. Read the rest of the New Testament and you see that this is a command for God's people to be together with one another because something significant happens. That God has the heart that when we're together, it's a different style of life than anywhere else that we're called to do things that are differently than anyone else. Read with me. Let me give you some examples. Like in Mark chapter 9, verse 50, it says, Be at peace with one another. In John 13, 34, we see it says to love one another. In Romans 12, 10, it says that we're to be devoted to one another and to honor one another. In Romans 12, 16, we're to live in harmony with one another. In Romans 14, 13, we're to stop passing judgment on one another. That one's a little bit of a stinger. Going on from there, Romans 15, 7 says we're to accept one another. Romans 15, 14 says we're to instruct one another. Romans 16, 16 says we're to greet one another. In Galatians 5, 13, we're to serve one another. In Galatians 6, 2, we're to carry each other's burdens. That's an important one. In Ephesians 4, 2, we're to be patient, bearing with one another. Ooh, I've ever dealt with someone who's difficult to be around? Let's be honest, sometimes Christians are difficult to be around. And Galatians says that we're to be patient with one another and still bear with one another and to care for one another's burdens. Hmm. Going on from there, it says in Ephesians 4.32 that we're to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. In Ephesians 5.21, we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In Philippians 2.3, in humility, we're to value others above ourselves in Colossians 3.16, we're to teach and admonish one another. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, we're to encourage one another and build each other up. And then in Hebrews 10.24, which I already read, it says to spur one another toward love and good deeds. And James 5.16, we're to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. And in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, we're to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Here's the question that we should be all asking is can we do this? when we neglect to be with one another. Because you can't have this one another life that God has for us, that God desires for us, when we don't seek to be with one another. If we're like, hey, it's, I don't need to be around anybody, it's me against the world, things like that, that's not the way that God has wired us to be. God has wired us to seek significant relationships in our life, to have those friendships in our life that mean more than anything. Where we are encouraged by one another. We're to, inspired to do good things for one another. we're, we're loving one another. Where we're forgiving one another. God has that desire in mind for us. Now, let me be clear. Because I can understand in the context of today, talking about this message like this, you might be thinking, well, he's talking about those who are at home watching church online. And I'm not. I am not. We are in a situation where people get sick. We have people who aren't here because they have the virus or other sicknesses and stuff like that. And so when people aren't here and they're watching online, I have no problem with that. If they don't want to be here because they're afraid of spreading something or afraid of getting something, I understand that. I'm not shaming people for that mindset. I am, however, saying if you're like, hey, I don't want to be with a fellowship. I don't want to be with other Christians for any petty excuse. Or maybe because the online church makes it overly convenient not to be with others. Then you're missing something truly special. When you can be with other individuals who know you, who love you. If there's any appreciation we should have been gaining in this 2020 season it is the power of being present with one another of knowing, having a face-to-face conversation with someone else and knowing they hear you, they love you, they see you, they are there in that moment with you. If there's anything we should have appreciation for in this season, is that. And for us as a church, this is a big deal. We want to build spaces where people can be together, where friendships and significant relationships can be built in these spaces. That's why you hear us say something all the time, that we value participating in small groups. We value participating in small groups. Because God does this thing where, yes, on Sunday morning we can talk about being kind to one another and loving one another and things like that, but kindness and love cannot be taught in a, on a stage or in a vacuum. It's taught in relationships. It's taught when we're with one another. So we create small groups all the time for the purpose that you can build these relationships with others, that you can be with others who are going to value you, who are going to love you and things like that. That's why we're very big on them. I'm very big on them because they've done tremendous work in my life from as a kid in small groups to when me and my wife lived apart for a year in two different states as I was finishing out my education and she was my sugar mama helping me do this, right? In um, that time frame, what kept our marriage you know, sacred and what kept our marriage healthy and helped us to get through these things was actually a small group I was part of when I was in Indy who were people of like-minded and the same Patterns of life as I was, and I could share my burdens with them, and we can, I could lean upon them for support. And my wife on the other end, in Tennessee, had close, significant friendships that were in the same way, who were there for her, who loved her, who took care from her from within the church. And right now, I got to say, I love my current small group here in town. I mean, we have a lot of fun. We meet on Saturday nights. We eat together. We we open up God's word together. You know, we uh, worship together. We play games together. Last night, instead of meeting, we actually went and delivered beds to this community so that kids in our town would not have to sleep on the floor. I love that our small group gets to do that. And it's because of these things that I'm so passionate about that. I want to see you in a small group. I'm not forcing you to be one, but we create these spaces hoping that maybe you'll Take a chance maybe you'll step into them and build relationships in your life that god is going to work in and move and be a part of it now i can already hear some objections in your mind so let's go ahead and address these elephants in the room okay uh one of them being uh you know i'm too busy and i get it we don't have a small group that meets at every single time that's convenient for everybody I totally get that. I wish we had a small group that would meet like at every single hour of every single week, you know, things like that, 24 7, whatever, so that there's always an option for you. But we don't. And no church really has that. And that's okay. So I get it. If you're like, hey, I'm too busy. I don't have a, a time to be able to meet in one of the times, that's perfectly all right. We're going to continue to start new small groups in the future and you can join one of those. But I don't believe the argument of, I'm too busy to build real, lasting friendships in my life. I don't believe that argument because research has shown that you will spend 35 hours this week in front of a television and that you will spend another 10 hours just pointlessly scrolling on social media and you think you're too busy to just call someone, to just grab coffee with them, have a meal sometime with them once in a month or or dare I say just send them a text message saying, hey, thinking of you, Here's a word from God, things like that. We have so many capabilities in our world today to be able to build relationships, to build spaces where God is going to work in them as we see in the book of Acts. So I don't believe in the argument that any one of us is too busy. Maybe you cut back on one less episode of Friends or The Office this week just so you can send a text or a phone call to someone. Your life will be better for it. Let me address another um, Probably a little bit more sensitive uh, excuse out there. So, back in the spring, we started Rooted. And the purpose of Rooted was to create a foundation for our church to build on biblically. As we looked at different things of like, what is the gospel? How do we share the gospel? What is sin? How do we overcome sin and suffering in our lives? How do we serve? How do we give? This was in a very intense 10-week program. And I recognize with my own leadership flaw of I'm a very passionate and intense person. My wife tells me I can sometimes be a little intimidating for people. The combination of these two might not have blended well. Now, we are very passionate still about Rooted and we're gonna continue to have groups of that in the future for these amazing opportunities for you to invest for 10 weeks in a life-changing journey. But I recognize that there was this unspoken message that went out there of, if I miss a few weeks, then I can't be a part of what's going on. That was not my heart intention. And I recognize that as a leadership flaw in myself, just from my own intensity and passion when it comes to the Word of God and comes to seeing people love God and love people. And I'm sorry if that was a message that was given, because that's not how our small groups work. None of the leaders are tallying up your attendance and sitting there waiting to, to... remove you. That's, that's not the formula we have. If it was, I would not be a part of my own small group because life happens. Work calls, uh, trips come up, things like that. Life can be messy sometimes. And so none of our small groups works on the basis that if you're only there once a month, that you're therefore going to be removed. That's not how any of them work. Because if we want to practice these one another statements, then we have to be in the context of one another. And I don't mean that as like, you need to be there. I mean that in the context of dealing with the messiness of each other's lives. Because life is messy. And small groups are messy as well. They are a messy context of doing relationships with one because messy people are involved. So if you're like, hey, I don't want to be part of it because I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt by someone, then you probably will get hurt. But if you miss out on building friendships in your life because you're afraid you're going to get hurt, then you're missing something vital of what it means to be human. Because God works in those pains and brokenness. And we make it, try to make it as easy as possible to join a small group. You can do it on your phone, on your app. You pull it up, you go there, to the small group thing, you just send a message saying, I'm interested in being a small group and Dave and I will contact you and try to find the right place for you. Maybe you can't even meet and guess what? All the small group questions are on the app. So if you're like, I'm just looking for a personal Bible study that fits along with the Sunday message as all of our small groups are going through it, you can find that on the app even if you're not meeting with another person. But the point being, is that we want to create spaces where you're going to have real friendships. That's my heart. I'm not looking to, oh, let's make this into one of those megachurches or gigachurches and things like that. A lot of pastors are like that because they have ego issues. For me, no, I want you to, I want to know that you have people in your life who care for you. That you have people in your life who love you, who want to see the best from you and out of you as you come to love God and love people more and they want to encourage you in that. That's what I want you to know and to have these relationships where you can be open and honest with other human beings and say here's me, all the warts and flaws and all and still find people who say I still accept you. I still love you. That's why we do small group ministries because that's the context in which that happens. Not in rows but in circles when we share one another's lives. Because that's where God works, is in the relationships with one another. Why don't you pray with me? Father God, I, I thank you so much just for coming up with friendships. I know that's not a common prayer but I thank you that you had the idea of, you know what, I'm going to create this idea of friendships and I'm going to have my people be friends with one another. And in that gathering with two or more gathered in the name of Christ, I'm going to, I'm going to be working. in It amazes me that you came up with that and that you work in that. And Father, I ask that in our own gathering that we might step into the messiness of one another's lives that we can practice these one another statements of loving you and loving people in these contexts, Father. Because friendship is such a beautiful thing. And it's such a thing that's difficult to find, difficult to to come up with, we look for in all sorts of places that are oftentimes wrong. But Father, I guess I'm asking you for a a radical change in our hearts to see it in new places. To open and real with others. To share life with one another. And to carry us forward seeing what you're going to do in the years to come in these significant relationships. It's in your name I pray. Amen.